0: It is Friday, March 11th, 2022. Welcome into the Guy Benson Show. I'm your host, Guy Benson. If you're here for the very first time or you're new to the program, a special welcome to you as we continue to grow. I'm the political editor at townhall.com and a Fox News contributor host of this fine program as well. Every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Many ways to listen live including across our many great affiliates around the country. You can also listen on the app, on the live stream, through Fox Nation, at odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y.com, our partner. All sorts of avenues there. And if you can't catch us as we air, there's a podcast. It is free on demand when the show is over every day. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. That's GuyBensonShow.com. You can download episodes or interviews. You can subscribe. It's all no charge right there at your fingertips. Plus, bonus Benson on the weekends, which reminds me to say, happy Friday. We are coming to you live today from Charleston, South Carolina. Very excited to be back here in this neck of the woods, the Palmetto State. And we have actually a South Carolina heavy show today. We'll get to our first guest in a moment, also still to come. Dagan McDowell will be here talking inflation and the economy later this hour. Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, a Republican, he'll be here. Matt Napolitano with sports and the new development in Major League Baseball. There will be a season. Baseball has been saved. The entire season will be played. We'll have details from Matt later. And kicking off our final hour, just after 5 p.m. Eastern, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, Republican from right here in the Charleston area. She'll be here, a familiar voice. And also Matt Finn to round things out. He has the very latest on the Jussie Smollett trial. The sentencing was yesterday. It was quite a show in the courtroom. It did not end well for Smollett. He will explain start to finish when we get to that topic. Fox News Alert, as we begin the show, let's bring you stats. Seventy nine point three million confirmed cases of covid in the United States. All in that's cumulative since the beginning of the pandemic. That's also a low ball number, not even close to the true number. The death toll in the United States, people dying with or of covid here, nine hundred and sixty four thousand and fifty seven. The Dow is currently down. Seventy eight points to thirty three thousand and ninety with just about 50 minutes to go. In the trading week, we will update you at the start of our next hour to see where things close out. Let's get straight to our first guest, the Honorable Nikki Haley, former governor right here in South Carolina, of course, former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations under President Trump, founder of Stand for America PAC, and also a fantastic dining companion at breakfast as it turns out. We had breakfast this morning. It was great to see you, Governor. I'm going to call you Governor since I'm here in South Carolina. It was great to spend some time with you. Thanks for spending some time with us here.
3: Thanks so much, Guy. It was great to see you as well. And you should know it is always a great day in South Carolina.
0: (laughs) All right, fair. I've never had a bad day here. I mean, so at least from my experience, that (laughs) would be true. Uh, You were mentioning at breakfast that The next event, the next element of your schedule was to head to an event for one of our other guests, who's joining us later, Congresswoman Nancy Mace, here in this part of the state. I'm actually very curious, before we get into foreign policy, there's a lot I want to ask you about. When I follow you, as I do fairly religiously on social media, Instagram, Twitter, it seems like you are constantly somewhere around the country, helping a Republican, endorsing a Republican, fundraising for a Republican. You get involved in some primaries, not always. How do you make decisions on that front? What is sort of the Nikki Haley mindset for deciding, is this someone that is going to earn your support when you do you know, vetting, for example?
3: Well, it's a great question. You know, first of all, we are anywhere and everywhere. We were involved in a lot of races in Texas, and we're so proud of the wins that we got with Morgan Luttrell and Wesley Hunt, Beth Van Dyne, Greg Abbott. Um, And we have, you know, we worked for Glenn Youngkin in Virginia last year. And, you know, as we go and we look at candidates, there's a couple of things. One, you know, I will continue to say that we need to have term limits in this country. Um, you know, it's, it's very important that we continue to have fresh faces and new ideas. And we were very involved with a lot of the new freshman women that came into Congress last year. What we look for is obviously they need to be conservative, fiscally conservative, pro-business, pro-Second Amendment, pro-life, pro-freedom. But we want them to be tough. And that means tough in that when they get there, they're not going to be pushed around. They're going to stand their ground. They've got a good gut, and they know what the American people want. They have to know what it means to to listen to the American people and, and move forward. And then they have to be policy-oriented. We want people that we know – We're not going to have to worry about where they stand. Are they going to be strong on the border and making sure that we don't have lawlessness? Are they going to have the backs of law enforcement? Are they going to make sure that parents have rights and that we stop all these mandates? Are they going to actually have a value for a dollar and know that government's dollars don't belong to them? They actually belong to the American people. So we put some time and effort into it. And I hope Any of your listeners that want to get involved, go to Stand for America PAC because we've got a lot of great candidates, including Nancy Mace, um, that we did an event. It was a standing room only event, um, raised a ton of money, and she is a strong force for the low country here in South Carolina. She's my congresswoman. I endorsed her last time. And, you know, she's done, she's just been a real fighter. She has run circles around Nancy Pelosi, and that's exactly what we need in Congress.
0: We'll be talking to her later in our final hour here today. So I referred to you as governor, and you got a plug-in for your home state. We talked about your work on the political side, and you were mentioning Stand for America PAC. Now it's time to put on your hat as the former U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, because foreign policy is front and center right now. On Ukraine, because I want to also get to Iran, but on Ukraine There seems to be some widespread reporting now that the Russians might be changing tactics. They might realize that they're not really going to win whatever that looks like in Ukraine and might be trying to basically make life as miserable and painful as possible for the Ukrainians, understanding that they're not going to conquer the country and decapitate the leadership, perhaps, but they want to be in the strongest position for negotiations to get potentially some painful concessions from Ukraine to put an end to all the bloodshed in the war. Where do things stand in your mind? And what comes next? Because it's been an extremely uneasy feeling, I think, for a lot of people watching this horror happening, you know, halfway across the globe now for weeks.
3: So I'll tell you, there's two thoughts in my mind. One is knowing that the way Putin looks at this is he doesn't um, when things get tough like this he doesn't let off the gas he pushes further the whole his whole thought process is how do we break them into submission? How do we go and make sure that we cut the power? How do we make sure they can 't get food? How do we bomb them you know all hours of the day? How do we go and make them as miserable as possible so that we can break them into submission? The Ukrainians are giving him you know a run for his money because their heart and spirit um, is bigger than you know anything he could ever imagine, and I think that they 've got a lot of fighting in, and he he realizes that. What concerns me is he is now starting to spread lies, which is what Putin is very good at, that implies that that the uS and Ukraine have bioweapons facilities inside Ukraine. We don't, that is not true. We do have research facilities, but nothing to do with bioweapons. Um, and this, and by the way, just we, to jump
0: in, that's, that has not been a secret, right? That has been openly acknowledged for for many years, right?
3: Absolutely. And the reason this bothers me is this is what they did in Syria. This is what he did with Assad in Syria. When they ran into problems where they couldn't get into an area, where they had um, blockades and they weren't able to move it, where they had people fighting back, they would create some sort of, um, you know, crazy rumor idea, conspiracy theory like this relating to chemical weapons, blaming the other side for it. And then the next thing you knew, you saw a chemical weapons outbreak. That's my fear. I pray to God it doesn't happen. But he's already mentioned this. Now he's swirling it. It wouldn't surprise me that if he's hitting barriers that they're not breaking through, chemical weapons is what they do next. And, you know, should that happen, the world needs to have a very strong response. To remind you when When they did that in Syria, that's when President Trump went and, you know, literally went and bombed them the next day in terms of where those chemical weapons facilities were. So we need to be really vigilant that that could happen. And I hope we're sharing intelligence with the Ukrainians in real time so that they know to watch for that as well.
0: President Biden was asked about this today. He made a brief statement at the White House. He answered one question on his way out the door, and it was on chemical weapons and Putin. Cut 32.
4: Russia may use chemical weapons or create a false flag operation to use them. What evidence have you seen showing that? And would the U.S. have a military response if Putin does launch a chemical weapons attack?
1: I'm not going to speak about the intelligence, but, you,
5: but uh, Russia would pay a severe price if they use chemical
1: weapons.
0: All right, so then there is sort of a scrum there, and he, he walked out of the room, but he wouldn't get into the intelligence. All right, fair enough. But there'd be a very stiff price paraphrasing what he said there if putin were to use chemical weapons uh, how do you read into that uh, madam ambassador and what would a very severe consequence look like because it seems like you know short of more military intervention from nato and other countries it's been a pretty tough response from the world community at least economically on the russians what else would be on the table do you think or should be on the table
3: Well, I think, you know, the goal right now is prevention, right? So what he needs to do is rather than saying that while he's walking off, he needs to make a very strong statement um, about how chemical weapons will not be tolerated um, whatsoever or there will be a world response. That's what we needed from him when... When Putin started to put troops along Ukraine, he should have sanctioned before. He should have said that before. He never should have talked about a minor incursion. You have to show strength to get prevention. And so at this point, what we've seen a lot from him is reactionary. And he's got to start getting in front of it and get with the European allies. He doesn't have to be in this alone. Get with some other allies around the world so that we can have this. You know, I just he's got to stop this before it starts. And, you know, look, you get into chemical weapons and that's something where you have to have the strongest of responses. and, And you can't let that go because chemical weapons, that's like nukes. That's as strong and as harsh as it gets. And that's something we can never allow happen in the world.
0: I want to ask you also about Iran and this, I would say, truly outrageous situation where you have. United States and the Biden administration desperate to get back into a nuclear deal, apparently any nuclear deal, with the regime in Tehran. And because the Iranians won't talk to us directly, they have outsourced, Biden's team has outsourced the negotiations to the Russians. And they've continued to work through the Kremlin and their diplomats, even given everything that's going on in the world in this uh, disgusting war that Putin has launched and all the attempts to turn Russia into a pariah state. Well, not on this front. We're still working with the Russians to move forward with Iran. The reports are that the giveaway would be epic. It would be extraordinary. It would be even worse than the Obama deal circa 2015. So bad that a number of our negotiators on our own team from the U.S. side resigned in protest. And the latest news, and we started to get a sense of this yesterday, now it appears to be going in that direction. They've hit a snag in these conversations. It seemed like it might be a done deal. And I was asking members of Congress and senators uh, what can be done to maybe prevent this in the legislative branch to, to have a vote in Congress at least for some sort of accountability. It looks like the deal might at least for now be off, possibly derailed, because the Russians, pressing their luck, I guess in a a moment of desperation in terms of their own economy, they tried to squeeze some sanctions relief for themselves into this whole accord, this whole negotiation, and that's given the West cold feet. Things have fallen apart. Now the Russians are going to talk separately with the Iranians, and the report is that the talks are now officially paused. I wonder what you think of this whole uh, this whole situation that's playing out, this whole kerfuffle, and, and specifically, is the pause, which seems to be a, a self-inflicted wound by the Russians, is that a gift to us, people who oppose this deal, oppose this negotiation, to, to sort of have an opportunity here to regroup and step up opposition to here at home now that the momentum seems to have at least been blunted or stopped for a while?
3: Well, I I don't think this is a moment of desperation for the Russians. I think this is the fact that the Russians once again realize that the Americans gave them a leadership position and he's running with it. So while sanctions have been put on Russia and, you know, they are in an economic downfall, um, you know, we put one – Because the U.S. wasn't allowed in the room for negotiations, which is pathetic in itself, um, we allowed the Russians to be our negotiator, which is unthinkable and total lunacy. But let's go back, Guy, to what the first Iran deal was, because I think your listeners need to know exactly where we're coming from. So Obama does this Iran deal. He can't get it passed in Congress. Um, So he does it through an executive order, so to speak. And Congress wants to do something as a stopgap measure to make sure that we don't get hurt from it. So Congress passes a bill that says every 90 days a president must ensure that the Iran deal is still in the best interests of America. And so as Obama phased out, he went. He he basically gave two planes full of cash to Iran at the time. Iran didn't use that money for any good whatsoever. They used it to spread terrorist activity to the the Houthis um, in Yemen, to Hamas in Gaza, to. Hezbollah and Lebanon, just terrorism around the world. When President Trump came in and he wanted to get out of the Iran deal, um, a lot of his national security team wasn't exactly on board with that. And I went to him and I said, will you let me go to Vienna and go to the International Atomic Energy Agency, which oversaw the Iran deal? and oversaw inspections. And I said, let me ask them questions. And I can come back to you with the information. And should it be good, we'll make the case for why you could get out. So I go to Vienna and I ask them, okay, we know a lot of the nuclear production development is happening in the research universities. How often are y'all inspecting those? They said, we Ambassador don't inspect Haley. the research
0: I just got to jump in because we are up on a hard break, and I hate to interrupt this story, but the the ending there was good. You helped persuade President Trump to do the right thing on Iran and that deal, get us out of it. Now it looks like Biden wants to get us back into something even worse, which is mind-blowing to me. I'll have a few more thoughts on that coming up. But we're up on that break, and I know that you've got a packed schedule today as well. Ambassador Nikki Haley, former governor of this state where I am today, South Carolina. Great to see you earlier. Thank you so much for joining us. And sorry to jump in on that story.
3: No worries. Thanks, Guy. Appreciate it.
0: You bet. Talk to you soon. That's Nikki Haley on The Guy Benson Show. Just getting started on this Friday. Stay with us.
2: The Guy Benson Show. Fox News Radio On Demand on the Fox News app. Download the app and just click listen. When you swipe left, you can listen to your favorite Fox News talk shows live. Swipe right for the latest Fox News Radio newscasts on demand. Fox News Radio on the Fox News app. Download it today.
0: I'm Guy Benson. We went super long there with Nikki Haley. So this is a quick segment. But just to reinforce a point, whatever the reason is that Russia decided to push its luck, In the Iran negotiations that seem to have at least for now derailed or stopped those negotiations in their tracks when it seemed like it might be a done deal, not so fast. It is a gift to opponents like yours truly a chance to take a breather and regroup and fight this because it's a terrible, terrible idea. And now there's an opportunity to fortify that view on Capitol Hill.
2: talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
0: We continue on the Guy Benson Show from South Carolina today. Charleston, great to be here. Great to have you along. Happy Friday. GuyBensonShow.com, podcast, always free of charge, on demand, the entire show, every day, plus bonus Benson on the weekends. Joining me now is Dagan McDowell, anchor and analyst on the Fox Business Network, also business correspondent for Fox News Channel. You see her every morning on Mornings with Maria on FBN, 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern. Dagan, great to have you back here.
1: Thank you, Guy. Hope you're well.
0: I am doing well. I want to play some sound for you. President Biden spoke to House Democrats at their retreat today, and he was apparently feeling pretty frustrated about the blame that he and the Democrats are getting on a whole number of fronts. At one point, he printed out I guess a New York Times story and was reading from a New York Times story to uh, vindicate what he thinks uh, is the best argument that they have rebutting the misinformation or whatever they're going to call it. And you could sense the frustration here in cut 36. Listen, I'm sick of this stuff.
5: We have to talk about it because American people think the reason for inflation is government spending more money. Simply not true. He's sick of
0: this stuff, not the inflation. He's sick of people thinking that the Democrats and their policies are at fault for the inflation. He said it's not about the government spending a bunch of money. Uh, that is a contributing factor. I mean, there's just like economics 101. But he asserted that it's simply not true. Later on in his remarks, talking about inflation, he said, quote, Democrats didn't cause this problem. Vladimir Putin did. Dagan, I'd imagine you have some thoughts on all of the above.
1: All right. Gasoline prices and inflation were going up and skyrocketing all last year. And it was the spending. It was handing money to Americans. Remember the increased child tax credit that went into effect over the summer where people, families were getting checks uh, during the month for mm-hmm. extra money for their kids? It was part of that. It was also reckless spending by biden incorporated uh aided and embedded by the federal reserve the federal reserve in an unprecedented way has blown blew out its balance sheet it's at about nine trillion dollars pumping money into the system that juices inflation where you have supply issues but you're juicing demand that that causes inflation number one remember all year they say it was temporary the the Fed used the word transitory. They said it was temporary. And then they blamed the supply chain crisis. Well, in the most recent Consumer Price Index report, services, the price of services were skyrocketing. That's not a supply chain problem either. So by the end of last year, the beginning of this year in January, consumer prices were up 7.5%. They were already running at nearly a 40-year high. They were already running at nearly a 40-year high at th- In December, at the end of the year, this is before Vladimir Putin came along, people go and fill up their cars and see how much gas prices had gone up in a year since Joe Biden took office, since Joe Biden took a chainsaw to our energy industry, security, prosperity. And so they know fact from fiction, And the the dumb mistake by Biden Incorporated is assuming that people are stupid, that they can look at them in the eye and tell them what is happening isn't happening. And that's their issue is that all along they've treated the American people, the electric, v- electorate voters, like we're a bunch of rednecks and rubes and hayseeds and hicks and the like. And now it's coming back to bite them in the ass. Yep. And so he can stand up there and read this article from The New York Times. Literally, that was an article. I read it. It was the Republicans are trying to blame high gas prices on on Biden. I read it, and to me it read like the Times is so frustrated by the messaging out of the White House that they needed to write a script for them. That's clearly what it was of, like, at least come up with a reasonable excuse. But I'll explain it like this. If you went up to my father and looked at at the Home Depot and said, you know – Putin's inflation, or whatever they're called. What are they calling it? Putin's price like the, increase. Yes. Putin's, Putin's price increase. My dad would stare at you and ask you if somebody just smacked you in the head. That's it. Doesn't resonate. It's absolutely it's absolutely silly that they're using this and and that. But again, let them moralize. Let them talk down to the American people. Let them treat us all like we're stupid. We know the truth.
0: Yeah, but he says, I'm sick of this. It's like basically, come oh, by on, the way, man. He's,
1: ta- he's talking to a room of Democrats, right? That's yep. like yelling into the belly of a port So <laughs> yeah, I don't know what that gets him. Well, other than I guess he's, know, he's trying
0: to rally the troops, I guess, a water. little bit. But the, I think the issue here is for them, and you just recapitulated some of the history over the last year-plus – I get it. Right. Like if you're in charge and your party owns everything in Washington, D.C., and things aren't going well and people are angry and coming up in the next hour, I'm going to get into the Wall Street Journal poll out today, which is just brutal for the Democrats. You see all of that. You don't want to lose. You want to stay in power. You can't just stand up and say, yep, we're we did it our policies aren't helping, we screwed up everyone, Uh, sorry, because then you'll lose even more badly. So what you do is you make excuses along the way, and the excuses, as you pointed out there, Dagan, have changed and evolved, and it's like, oh, it's this thing that's in the news right now. That's what's happening. Oh, no, it's this new thing. Now we've landed on Putin.
1: But before Putin invaded Ukraine. They needed to change their messaging because inflation was running at nearly a 40-year high months ago, and because people's wages are falling. Wages are not keeping up with inflation, period and like the wage gains were 5.1% in the in the last month but inflation was up 7.9% and it's across the board. If if you look at the recent trend, like uh, the month month over month numbers and you annualize them the last 3 months inflation's running at close to 9%. That's mm-hmm. how that's how uh, it's how much it's gotten away from them. But again, he was supposed to be president empathy. And he can't look at the American people who are struggling financially and facing hardships and having to make decisions about what am I going to feed my kids for dinner? Is it going to be an old box of mac and cheese from two years ago because I just had to fill up my car because I have to commute to work every day? Their answer to that is buy an electric vehicle. And that's where it just it, – It is callousness. Not only is he the castigator in chief, he is callous and heartless when it comes to people's financial hardships. Oh, and this is even more disgusting. A lot of the liberals on social media and their prominent ones have been passing around this little placard some genius put together saying, how dare you complain about high gas prices when you should imagine yourself sitting on the floor of a train station, a refugee, with your kids. Yeah, that, that's the American- not helpful no the and it's well known liberals the american people have the ability to be upset about both things and to have sympathy and and pray for the people of ukraine and and grieve for them and with them and and, no, and, and still have the ability to be upset about their own financial situation <laughs> I mean, like, and have it's... the intellectual and spiritual ability to know the damn difference it kind
0: of blows my mind that anyone would – it's like, oh, uh, not happy with things happening here in America and the way your family can't afford things? Well, you ingrate. At least you're not right. in Yemen. Vote for us. Right? Like, that. that's a crazy town. But if that's what some of them want to go with, I mean, I guess – Go for
6: I've it. I've
1: seen it. I've seen it. I've seen it everywhere, and it has taken all my will and might not to say something on social media. <laughs> well, maybe you should say I something. Just, maybe you well, should I say something. I just said it now. Yeah, take take a breath and then type it away.
0: Button. Keyboard warrior, Dagan McDowell, our guest. No. Uh, I do want to... <laughs> also highlight because they're trying to sort of like pretend that all of this spending trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars in deficit spending over the last few years like oh has nothing to do with any of this it's not that's not what inflation is about Uh, yes it is that is absolutely one of the very big factors here and a point that i want to keep making is if you ask Joe Biden today at that same rally where he's yelling about how sick and tired he is about getting, you know, blamed for inflation, if you said, Mr. President, if we had the votes for you tonight on Build Back Better and we could spend five trillion more dollars right now, would you sign it? His answer would be yes. They want to spend trillions more. And if they have more votes to do it, they will. And they don't seem to think that it has any connection to inflation. That's actually, to me, a rallying cry for the election and also kind of a, a scary thing.
1: One of the, the biggest, the tallest tales and the biggest lies that they were telling month after month after month is that Build Back Better, it, well, it was much bigger than they ever admitted. Right. It was going to lower inflation, right. that we need to spend more money to lower inflation uh, over and over and over again. And I said I, – I actually texted somebody. I said, do you think that this old coot is going to have the audacity to stand up in front of the American people during the State of the Union and mention those Nobel laureates and how they said that they needed to spend trillions of dollars more to lower inflation? Do you think he's going to mention that during the State of the Union? Sure enough, he did. Uh-huh. I should have I should have put money on it.
0: You probably go to Vegas.
1: a couple of things about inflation, one of the dangerous things is the psychology of of rising prices has set in with consumers and businesses. So when you expect higher prices, your behavior changes, and so higher prices beget higher prices. Number one, consumer sentiment, we got a reading on consumer sentiment this morning. It's at more than a decade low. Mm. So people are feeling it, and it's related to inflation. So Joe Biden's messaging on this is actually irrelevant, and there's really nothing that he can say that's going to change what's going on. In policy, it will, but clearly not personality.
0: You know, just listening to – those last few moments there in your answer, I'm just reminded that even though I disagree with him sometimes and he votes the wrong way far too often in my opinion and he's in the party that I don't belong to, thank God Joe Manchin is in the U.S. Senate to actually be concerned about inflation and not buy this fairy tale nonsense that to save the country and to really curtail inflation, what we really need to do is spend $5 more trillion more. And he's like, you know what? I don't think so and he was a no and he stuck to it. Last question but you know what he sent? In.
1: He sent remember he sent Schumer a letter. I do. And it oh, was yeah. and it was and it was raised corporate taxes and he there were some ish, you know some items in there you wanted the Fed to, Federal Reserve to stop it's uh, blown out the balance sheet and stop its monetary stimulus first but there were some some items to be cherry picked on behalf of Democrats, and they were so full of themselves and egomaniacal, they didn't even bite on that, and then they got a big N.O. not a niente from uh, Joe Manchin.
0: Yeah, and then the White House apparently didn't even know about that Schumer letter, which is, I mean, wild. It's just really a gang that can't shoot straight, and thank God. If they were more effective and more efficient, they could have done a lot more damage here. Quickly, last question. I've seen this, because you're talking about oil and energy, And there's a deep-seated hostility to American energy production within the Democratic Party. It's part of their ideological project to end fossil fuels. You know, Biden set it on the campaign trail. Now they're turning big oil into the boogeyman again. It's not just Putin. It's also big oil. They're not drilling the way that they could. They're only interested in profits. And you've actually seen Democrats on Capitol Hill talking about trying to raise taxes on oil companies right now. I mean – Economic illiteracy alert, Dagan. It's bad enough at the pump, and the Democrats want to raise the cost of doing business for the oil companies?
1: What? Right. So you want to do... That's that's another uh, item to, on its to, on their to-do list to ensure that, again, that they sap the prosperity from our energy economy. And when you take away... Uh, you know the power and prosperity from that business, which I warned people a year ago on Joe Biden's first day in office of everything his his agenda right out of the gate, and it was the moratorium on new leases fed, um, on federal land and water for drilling, uh, the like uh, the slow walking of drilling permits, and they gone after the financing for fossil fuel projects and for fossil fuel companies. Now they're going to take more money away from energy companies when you need them to be pumping full bore to help get the West off yeah. of Vladimir Putin's oil because I, Europe is still ex- importing it, and oil and natural gas, because it's so dependent on it. So the more we pump, the less that Europe has to buy from – the more we can put on the market, the less other nations have to buy um, and from yeah, a tyrant and, and fuel that war. And by the way, it also hurts job creation. It hurts. It hurts the people who work for. Not only it hurts people filling up their cars. It hurts people who work for those businesses. That's money that doesn't go to wage increases.
0: Well, look, I don't think they have the votes to do it. But it's such a destructive impulse, and it's just punitive. It's punitive to attack people that they don't like, even if the outcome, policy-wise, is harmful and hurtful to millions and millions of Americans. It's unserious, but it's what a lot of their party actually believes we got to leave it there for now. Dagan McDowell of Fox Business Network, uh, always a firecracker and fired up today, no doubt, I think rightly so. Dagan, <laughs> have, have a great weekend. Thank you. You too, Guy. All right. We'll, we'll take a quick break. We'll be right back on The Guy Benson Show.
2: The Guy Benson Show. More next.
0: Back here on the Guy Benson Show. Well, this clip is making the rounds. As you know, our vice president, we sent our very best over to Eastern Europe. She's over there. And she was meeting today and did a joint event with a Romanian leader. I think I recognized the flag there as our flag and the Romanian flag. And there was a series of questions asked by reporters. And you'll hear at least the last question, perhaps in a series, directed at Harris, there's a long pause as the leaders are sort of conferring who's going to take this one. She then sort of stared at her notes for a while and then gave an answer. I don't think it's an answer to the question she was asked. This is, this is weird. Cut 35.
5: How long should Americans expect? How long should we be bracing for um, this really sort of um, historic inflation and some unprecedented gas prices?
4: Sure. In terms of uh, the discussions that the President, Johannes, and I had, uh, they ranged in subject, including the issue of the Black Sea. And I'll let him explain in more detail as he would like. Uh, but we are, again, fully aware and apprised because we are in constant communication with the President, with his administration here, about the concerns that they have about the entire region and, frankly, the vulnerability. All you have to do is look at the map.
0: Uh, okay. Bit of a head scratcher there. Now, I am going to guess slash hope that there were a couple questions asked, one to the other leader, one to her, maybe a few. And, and you dealt with the Black Sea and the region, the vulnerabilities, like the stuff that she was just answering about. Uh, there was a long, long pause there. The question that was directed at the end to her was about Americans' pain on inflation and fuel costs. And after that long gap, she launched into this thing about something totally different, maybe in response to something prior, before the clip started. But that was odd. And you got to know how pressing that question is for American voters. She's she's a character. (laughs) Another hour coming up.
2: Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Kai Benson Show.
0: A brand new hour of the Guy Benson Show from Charleston, South Carolina, coming to you live. Thank you so much for listening. Every day, 3 to 6 Eastern, it's the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. Podcast is free every day on demand. And we encourage you to take advantage of that if you cannot listen to the three hours live. Fox News alert as we get into this middle hour. The Dow really tailed off at the end of the day, closing down 229 points to Thirty-two thousand nine forty-four. Well, we were chatting in the last hour with Dagan McDowell, who was spitting righteous fire on the economy. And I mentioned in passing that we were going to get to the results of a new Wall Street Journal poll that is out today. And let me tell you, I wrote about it at townhall.com on the tip sheet, where I'm political editor. It is Just bloodbath level territory stuff for the Democratic Party. I mean, here's the thing. They're in charge, right? They own all of this. They said, put us in charge. The Republicans are terrible. Vote for us. And the American people said, I guess, okay." Got Biden, barely, what, a 50-50 Senate, plus one. A reduced majority in the House. But they are in control. And the American people are not happy with what they're seeing. So this Wall Street Journal survey, which was taken all after the State of the Union address, by the way, shows President Biden's job approval rating, which is really the most important thing right now, this far out, more than half a year away. Tracking the president's approval is is a sense of and gives you a sense of where things are likely headed in November. It's a crucial barometer. His job approval rating in this poll is 42% with 57% disapproving. So he's underwater by 15 points, President Biden is. And on the generic ballot, which we track from time to time here, where they ask people, which party would you rather have in control of Congress? As we've mentioned, historically, Republicans don't do great on this metric. They are... You know, down by a couple points or tied in a good year for them in huge, huge Republican years. They lead on this. And this year in this poll, they are leading on that question by five points. They're up forty six to forty one over the Democrats on the uh, generic congressional ballot. And if you dig into the demos just a little bit on the congressional ballot, there are a few eye opening results. Among Hispanic voters, Republicans are now leading outright by nine points. So Latino voters look at the parties, and by nine points, they want to vote Republican. And in this poll, the Republicans are also at 27% support among black voters. Now, that's not really anything to write home about, one out of four. But historically speaking, and the way that black people tend to vote in this country... If the Republicans are anywhere near 27 percent, if they're anywhere near 20 percent of the black vote in 2022, that is just death to the Democratic majorities. They just get crushed. Now we've talked about recently on this show a number of data points indicating that Republicans are gaining among Hispanics in Texas, in Florida, elsewhere. I'm still a little skeptical that they're up nine Republicans among Hispanics. I mean, that seems like a a really significant number. And again, if that's even ballpark correct, if Republicans are tied among Hispanics in November, it will be a blowout. And I'll tell you this, if they're up nine with Hispanics and they're at 27 percent of the black vote, the generic ballot nationwide is not five points. It's going to be uglier for for the Democrats than that. So, again, there is a chance that some of these numbers will rise and fall, ebb and flow. But there are just, you know, warning signs, neon warning signs flashing all over the place here for the Dems. Now, when you look further into this this poll, it gets worse. They asked the public about issues. Who do you trust more on various issues? So the Democrats still have a lead somehow on COVID, on controlling COVID. Although I think voters have been voting with their feet on that issue. The deepest blue places have done the most harm on children, on the economy, and all this stuff. And people have left. People have moved. And the fact that there's a backlash in so many of these even very blue places You know, where Glenn Youngkin gets Democratic support to end the mask mandate for kids in schools in Virginia, a state that he won after Joe Biden carried it by 10 points. You know, people might say, oh, I guess the Democrats are better on covid. I would say the outcomes, the results, the behavior of politicians and voters would suggest otherwise. But in the poll, at least Democrats are ahead on covid. They're also ahead by just five points on the issue of education and improving kids' education. This is usually like a D plus 20 advantage. People associate the Democrats with education, fairly or unfairly, that's one of their issues. It's like Republicans are always better on national security, Democrats are always better on education, but this is a single-digit margin now. The Democrats' advantage has been eroded substantially, and I think that's because a lot of people haven't been completely asleep for the last two years. Now, those are the, of all the issues, it's like roughly a dozen. Those are the two where Democrats are ahead. Then you get to all the other issues. They asked, who's looking out for the middle class? Republicans actually lead on that by a point, right? Sort of middle class fighting for the middle class. That tends to be where the Democrats have been winning lately and not in this poll. They're down by a point on foreign policy. They're down by seven against the Republicans. On Ukraine specifically, Republicans lead by seven points. This is just on public trust. On the issue of keeping kids in schools, Republicans ahead by eight points. That should be a slam dunk. The reason kids were out of school in many places for a year and a half was because of the Democratic Party and their allies in the teachers unions. That's just not disputable. That's a fact. So you might say Democrats have a slim lead on improving education, but on actually making sure kids are getting educated in a classroom, that's a GOP GOP plus eight issue. Then we get to big ticket items that are going to be the themes for the GOP as they try to win back these majorities in November. The economy, inflation, and crime. There's a lot of other stuff out there, many issues that matter a lot. But if you want to look at some of the biggest themes that the Republicans will be running on broadly, nationally, economy, inflation, crime. And in this Wall Street Journal poll, they ask the American people, who do you trust more on those issues? On the economy, broadly speaking, the Republicans are up 13 points on the economy, 13 on inflation. Probably the number one economic concern right now. The Republicans are up 17 points. 17. And on crime, remember when Democrats, the White House talking point was, actually, it's the Republicans who want to defund the police. Remember that one? Circleback had that one for us. Now, Circleback's telling us, this is Russia, this is just all Putin, and they have their talking points. They don't work on crime. The Republicans are leading Democrats by 20 points, two 0 20. So that is uh, quite something in the Wall Street Journal poll. Now, there's another poll from Navigator Research where they asked Americans about Ukraine specifically, which is actually one of Biden's strongest issues right now. And they asked the same group of people two slightly different questions on the issue. The first one was, so far, do you feel President Biden has made the right decisions or the wrong decisions when it has come to the situation in Ukraine? Overall, the American people split 59 to 41, saying that he's made the right decisions. So that's a good number for Joe Biden, 59, 41 plus. But then making it a little bit vaguer and not so much about the decisions that he's made, they asked a general question. Do you approve or disapprove of Biden's handling of the situation in Ukraine? Same poll, same people, same respondents. It goes to 43 percent approve, 49 percent disapprove. Among independents, crucial. They ask that question, what do you think about the decisions? They're plus 8, 54, 46. They like his decisions. What about overall approval of Biden on this stuff? Independents, 30 approve, 58% disapprove, minus 28. How, like, how is that even possible? My theory of it is, even if on specific decisions and some of the things Biden has done, people are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and some credit, and I would say I'm in that camp. I think he's made some big mistakes on foreign policy in Afghanistan, obviously, what he's trying to do with Iran right now, obviously, and even with Russia and Ukraine, some missteps, some misstatements and and other things that I would uh, quibble with, and I have here. But I've not been all negative all the time on Joe Biden, on all of the decisions that he's made as commander in chief in this setting, and yet... When it comes to a, a more generic question about his leadership, this is, I would call, for lack of a better term, a vibe check. Right, this is a specific question, A, and then B, vibe check on this guy, and he falls off a cliff on the vibe check. Because when you've lost credibility, when you've lost trust, when you've lost confidence, it is really hard as a leader to regain it, especially when the news is as bad as it is, right? Gas prices are what they are. Prices of everything across the board are up the way they are. Inflation is what it is. Those concerns are real. They are not transitory. There's a war in Europe. People are still in the back of their minds remembering the Afghanistan disgrace and debacle. And you just pile it all up, and that's where, when you ultimately ask people for the vibe check on Joe Biden, his disapproval rating in the Wall Street Journal poll overall is 57%, and in this other poll about Ukraine, it's 58%. It's basically just, how do you feel about the guy? And he's failing. Now, one thing I'll just quickly add as an aside... The Republicans, as I mentioned, are up five on the generic ballot. President Trump, they ask about his job approval. Looking back, did you approve or disapprove of his job performance as president? And his approval is actually significantly better than Biden's right now. He's at 48 approve, 51 disapprove. Much better than 42 approve, 57 disapprove. But then they ask if they were to be... Pitted against each other again in 2024, that advantage for Trump goes away and they're tied. And the reason for that is they asked the percentage of the American people, kind of the swing votes, 15% of the country that doesn't like Trump and doesn't like Biden, and they asked those people, you know, what do you think about this stuff? That group, the crucial group that swings elections, says by double digits that they would vote for Biden over Trump again, but also says by double digits they want to vote Republican this November. So I think there might be a lesson in there, looking ahead to 2024 for the Republican Party, just putting that out there. But the Democrats' problem more immediately in 2022 is even people, swing voters who don't like Trump, wouldn't vote for Trump, would prefer Biden still to Trump, They're looking to November, and by 13 points, they're saying, we want to vote Republican. That is, I think, perhaps part of the crux of the problem that the Democrats find themselves in. Last but not least, on Ukraine and Russia, uh, these numbers speak for themselves. They did a favorability check, favorability rating question about Vladimir Putin and then President Zelensky from Ukraine. Zelensky's favorable unfavorable is 65% favorable 8% unfavorable. So the American people love Zelensky. Vladimir Putin 4% favorable among the American people. 4 unfavorable 90 90. It takes a lot to get the American people to be on the same page at a clip of 90% but Vladimir Putin has pulled it off so far. Yeah, deservedly so, I would say. We will step aside. Quick break. When we come back, I want to play a soundbite from Ron DeSantis down in Florida that I think you're going to want to hear. He's taken on a big corporation. Fascinating stuff next.
2: Guy Benson will be right back.
0: I'm Guy Benson. We're back. So earlier in the week, I opened the show discussing the Florida legislation involving schools and parents' rights and LGBT youth. And it's being called by opponents. the don't say gay bill, which I think is misleading. I went through my thoughts on it. uh, Fairly nuanced. Probably not giving anyone all the things that they want to hear on either side of the issue. Because I think it's actually complicated. On balance, There's enough ambiguity and vagueness in there that I would not support the bill in its current form, even though I think it is being grossly mischaracterized and demonized in ways that are really stupid and factually wrong. And anyone who's fighting on the K-3 through front, I think, is just totally missing the boat and losing. That is not what is potentially objectionable about the bill, in my view, at all. Now, Disney, a huge company, obviously, with Disney World down in Florida, they are now under pressure from their woke people saying, you've got to fight this thing. So Disney's trying to walk this line. And they're stepping up some of their complaints about it. They want to meet with the governor. They're pausing contributions in Florida. They're putting out memos to their staff. I don't think they really want to mess too much with the government of Florida, though, and certainly the governor of Florida who addressed this yesterday, cut 34, listen.
5: You have companies like a Disney that are going to say and criticize parents' rights, they're going to criticize the fact uh, that we don't want transgenderism in kindergarten and first grade classrooms. If that's the hill that they're going to die on, then how do they possibly explain lining their pockets with their relationship from the Communist Party of China? Because that's what they do, and they make a fortune... And they don't say a word about the really brutal practices uh, that you see over there at the hands of the CCP. And so in Florida, our policy is going to be based on the best interest of Florida citizens, not on the musing of corporations.
0: Now, That's a shot across the bow of Disney, which is a huge employer and company in that state. And DeSantis isn't running for the hills. He's fighting them. As I said, I have disagreements with the bill. Right now, I don't support that bill based on the way it's written right now for reasons you can go back and listen on the podcast if you want to. But DeSantis makes a point that I absolutely agree with and you can't really argue with. I'm sorry, woke Disney. All of a sudden, here you are again wading into some controversy in America about you. Oh, human rights and all this stuff when you are making huge sums of money in China. In fact, thanking the Chinese Communist Party for letting you film, even in Xinjiang, where the genocide is taking place. If that's your position to make money over there, sit down and shut up over here. If I agree with you or disagree with you, it doesn't matter, because you don't have the standing to be taken seriously on these types of moral issues. And DeSantis called them out. It's the Guy Benson Show.
2: You're listening to a new generation of talk, Guy Benson.
0: We're at the halfway mark of this show on a Friday from Charleston, South Carolina. It is the Guy Benson Show, GuyBensonShow.com, podcast always free. With us now is Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, the ranking Republican on the House Ways and Means Committee. And, Congressman, good to have you back here. Hey, Guy, thanks for having me. You bet. I want to get your reaction to a soundbite. This was from... Earlier today at the White House, Jen Psaki was under questioning from our colleague here at Fox, Peter Ducey, asking her about energy. And the line has been from the White House and from the podium that energy costs are going up because of Putin and because of oil companies, not because of the policies of this president. And Ducey asked a question. She responded with a question. And I want you to listen to it. Cut 33. Cut 33. You and the president
7: are both talking about producing energy here, saying that oil and gas companies have 9000 permits to drill now. They could be drilling right now. Would President Biden cut red tape to make that possible?
1: What red tape needs to be cut when they have the permits, uh, they have the capacity to do it. What's holding them up?
0: All right, Congressman. So you represent an oil rich state, obviously. You're from Texas. The question posed back by Saki is, well, what red tape? They've got all these drilling permits. They can just go out there and have at it. They're just not doing it, and so, you know, go talk to them. It's not our fault. Uh, How would you answer her question that she fired back there? And what do you think more broadly about this effort by the White House to make it seem like they're actually not hostile to domestic energy and fossil fuel consumption?
5: Yeah, this whole narrative they're trying to peddle on – this the whole narrative is is just phony it's intellectually dishonest and it has no credibility look the white house absolutely doesn't understand what it takes to be energy independent if she talk about red tape i I'd, I'd start with reverse the uh killing of the keystone pipeline that alone would bring enough oil uh into the us to replace all of what we buy from russia i would i would start to reopen uh, the onshore and offshore leasing system they have blocked, uh, I would start giving permits uh, both to uh, those who are producing, but to our refineries and our LNGs that want to ex- export uh, around the world and then of course, uh, all their efforts to squeeze the financing out of American oil and gas, which they are very proud of doing, I would reverse that red tape as well. So look, I think this whole Putin and it's the energy problem he- here's what we know. Inflation has been raging for a year now as of this month, including gas prices. In fact, America has the highest inflation in the world among advanced economies as well. And and so much so that uh, this past year, President Biden has wiped out three years of wage gains from families. And the other thing I noticed in the report that came out yesterday is inflation is accelerating. It is at a double digit, 10 percent figure this past month, and the amount of uh, goods and services a family can buy now, it has dropped so much in this year, uh, more than at any time in record it, since we've been keeping uh, records of this. So, boy, they—I I know they're trying to pawn this off on others, but this lies squarely with President Biden and no one else.
0: Meanwhile, I played you the clip from Saki. Here's the president himself. He spoke to House Democrats today. He. Seem pretty chippy, pretty angry that the American people are blaming the party in power for the things that are going wrong and uh, their policies. Cut thirty-six. I'm sick of this stuff. We have to
5: talk about it because the American people think the reason for inflation is government spending more money. Simply not true.
0: I know that there's a number of different factors that play into inflation, but President, there just asserting, making the statement that it's not true that massive government spending has anything to do with inflation. Um, your reaction, Congressman?
5: He's simply wrong. Uh, you just look at all the graphs. It starts – inflation starts to rage the right after uh, Congress passes, rams through that nearly $2 trillion unpaid-for COVID stimulus. That's where you saw the combination of uh, of huge government spending – in the economy policies that paid people more to stay home than to go back uh, to work uh and basically fueling doing nothing to get Americans back to work so they could uh assemble things produce things deliver products and so uh clearly this inflation it's it's from the president's own policies and and look I, the American public absolutely gets they run the house they run the senate they have the White House This is all on them and no one else.
0: Meanwhile, in that same speech, uh, President Biden said again, as he did at the State of the Union address, that under his plan and within his policy, the American people would not see any tax increase whatsoever unless they're making $400,000 a year or more. And, well, the problem with that is, (laughs) unfortunately, it's not true And for him to say that to a room full of House Democrats who all applauded, every single one of the House Democrats, all of them in the conference, except for one guy, I believe, from Maine. All the rest of them walked the plank a couple months ago for Nancy Pelosi, and they voted for the Build Back Better plan, Biden's plan, which, of course, ended up failing, fortunately, in the Senate. But that bill that they all voted for, that would become law if they had their way. Correct me if I'm wrong here, Congressman. That bill would have raised taxes for tens of millions of middle class people. And it also had tax breaks for blue state millionaires in it. That is literally the content of some of that Build Back Better legislation that they voted for. And yet they're sitting there clapping while Biden says no one will see a tax increase if you, unless you're making more than 400 grand. They've all already voted in the house for his plan that does exactly the thing that he said it would never do
5: absolutely and uh he's been fact-checked multiple times he keeps repeating this even though the congressional um uh committee on taxation congressional budget office even the left-leaning tax policy center all confirm that president's plan raises taxes on middle-class families many as two-thirds of them uh in the first year and growing from that and then your point is that uh, they also confirm that one out of three uh, millionaires, excuse me, two out of three millionaires will see a huge tax break from Build Back Better. So, yeah, he's been repeating that claim as long as, as well as the other one that says, you know, Republican tax cuts went through the wealth in the big corporations. Actually, even The Washington Post called that a zombie claim. But he repeated again to save the union. So it's sort of yes. like blaming Putin for for the gas prices, I think he's hoping that if he says it often enough, people will buy it.
0: Well, I mean, at least there's some element of truth that the Putin stuff and, and Ukraine will impact gas prices in a negative way. Over some the time, of the, the, that's right. Yeah, the, over time, for sure. The, the tax stuff that he's saying is just wrong, uh, factually. And I would just say this. I know you're not up for re-election because uh, you're, you're retiring after a long career in Congress. But I hope the Republican Party has its head on straight to tell the voters, tell the American people, these Democrats, with prices for everything going up and inflation, the cost of food and goods and fuel and all of it, while that's going up, 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 every single one of these House Democrats voted for your taxes, in many cases in the middle class, to go up. And I mean, that's a double whammy of Democratic governance. And I think it could make a real difference in November, juxtaposing those two facts, quite frankly. Congressman Kevin Brady of Texas, we're up on a break here. We always appreciate your time. Talk soon. Thanks, Guy. Take care. All right. Have a good weekend. We'll be right back. It's the Guy Benson Show. Sports next. Back on the Guy Benson Show. And if you're listening on the broadcast, that is the MLB on Fox theme song, which is quite good. I might actually offend some sports fans out here by saying I think it's better than certainly their college football theme song that they use on Big Fox. I also think it's better than their iconic NFL on Fox theme song. I know, I know. Some of you are like, what? Yeah, that's what I think. I think MLB on Fox is right up there with NHL on ESPN and the old NBA on NBC song, which is now, I think, Fox College Basketball, actually. As that's my top three. Maybe throw in the Olympics, and there's your Mount Rushmore of sports theme songs. Have I thought about this a lot? Yes, I have. But we played the song because, this is exciting, baseball is back. The season has been saved. We alluded to this yesterday on the show with some late-breaking news, some reports that an agreement had finally been reached between the players and the owners, but we didn't really have details. Now we do. And not only has the season been saved, it sounds like spring training starts, like, now. They're wasting no time. Spring training started today. With us to discuss is Matt Napolitano, sports reporter for Fox News Headlines 24-7. You can hear him on Sirius XM Channel 115. You can follow him on Twitter, at Matt Napolitano. Matt, good to talk to you
6: again. Good to talk to you. Glad to know we have the same Mountain Rushmore when it comes to sports teams. Oh, really? Okay, that yeah, makes me feel very thing. happy and good
0: so you you clearly have uh a good head on your shoulders and you understand quality <laughs> because some well, people I don't
6: know about that, but
0: well, you understand quality in some things at least there's you know <laughs> no one's perfect, no one's perfect, but yeah, okay, so I'm glad that that we see that the same way. I wonder if we see this big development the same way. I'm a baseball fan. I'm a Yankees fan. I don't really know what to expect from this year's squad, to be honest. I've also been pretty disgusted with the game for a while now. I feel like the people at the top don't even really like the sport. They're constantly trying to change everything. I was furious with Major League Baseball with their all-star game politics last year, and then this was a bad taste in my mouth. A lot of fans were, I think, pretty jaded and upset There seemed to be some real concern, Matt, that this season would be extremely truncated or even potentially canceled. But I guess there was some breakthrough, and they got this ball rolling pretty quickly to the point that, what, they're not going to
6: miss any regular season games. Is that right? Yeah, all 162 games are going to be played this year. You know, there were some planned cancellations early on in negotiations. We heard that the first week would be canceled. Then even just as recent as Wednesday, we found out a second week was going to be canceled as well because a new collective bargaining agreement had not been reached. But it seems like they've worked it all out and that some series are going to be made up through doubleheaders, which are going to be nine inning doubleheaders again, unlike the seven innings that we've been seeing the last couple of years. Good. So that's going to be going back to the previous standard, which a lot of baseball fans, including you and myself, are very excited about. But it seems like they were able to get something done in these last few hours, especially after Wednesday when it looked as though the only hurdle that prevented a deal before a designated deadline was talk of an international draft, trying to select players from other countries. The mechanisms just weren't there. was what the Players Union was arguing. The league really wants to institute that draft, so they decided, you know what, let's put that on the back burner. We'll get to that when we need to get to it, and let's just focus on playing ball, and that's what led to this new CBA. So...
0: When does the season actually start? I mean, it sounds like pitchers and catchers and everyone else must have already reported, right, in advance of this if spring spring training starts today. The regular season is still starting in April, right, just
6: maybe a little bit delayed? That's correct. So opening day is now set for April 7th. It was originally set for March 31st, but because of all the delays brought on by the negotiations, they're going to give it a little bit of a leeway with one more week. Right now, players are required to report to their designated spring training facilities by Sunday. There's going to be a little bit of leeway for players who have some visa snags and other issues from coming from other countries. I and then it. exhibition games are set to get under, underway as early as March 17th. So they're going full speed ahead here and yeah. trying to get preparations underway. The good thing that the Players Union did, though, Guy, is that they established a camp in Arizona for players to come and work out. You know, Obviously, you can't have access to your team facilities. Only certain players did. So some of these big pro names, like guys like Trevor Bauer, got the chance to get their workouts in out west to really get themselves loosened up and focused up for a new season. So hopefully that helps out a little bit and trends them in the right direction to be ready come April 7th. Do you think that there's any residual, I guess, resentment
0: and anger among the fan base to the point that it could spoil or put a damper on this season? Or is the fact that the cancellations were... Minimal and the games will all be made up, and you're going to have a full season. And they got this thing back on track before April. Does that sort of paper over some of the frustrations? And people are like, okay, at least baseball's back. All is forgiven. We're going to get our full season and we all move on. You know, everyone's different, and you know, you can't speak for every single fan in the country. I just wonder, you know, is broadly speaking, Are Major League Baseball fans going to remember this one for a while and be mad about it? Or were they able to avert that perhaps, you know, lasting bruise uh, PR-wise among their fans by getting this resolved pretty quickly once the dominoes started to fall?
6: You know, I think of the old adage of forgive, but don't forget. And I think that's what a lot of baseball fans are going to take the approach of. You know, the season's going to happen. 162 games in full. and going to be a 12-team postseason. It's going to be interesting come for September and for October baseball. But the fact of the matter is, I think a lot of fans are going to be a little bit defensive in regards to what happened here. The fact that this took 99 days, and in the early onset of this, lockout talks weren't even really happening. Right before the deadline back in December, it seems like both sides couldn't get accomplished on anything at all. So I think for most fans, they're going to be thinking in the back of their head, like, is it really worth it for me to be dropping X amount of dollars knowing that these millionaires and billionaires were duking it out over issues that really were of – Nil importance to me, and we're only making people richer when I'm spending $200 to take my family to the ballpark, and I'm lowballing there with that figure. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Especially in an age of inflation, right? Everything costs more people. People
0: are tightening their belts out of necessity because everything is so expensive. I mean, it's just, it seemed like really not great timing. I wonder if any of that played into the progress that was made. The the owners and the players saying, oh, gosh, you know what? With all this inflation, there's a war. Like, if this is what we're doing and we're denying baseball, we're depriving America of baseball for any period of time, you know, that's going to really tick a lot of people off. Let's figure something out. I wonder maybe could the cultural, political environment have played some role?
6: I think that's definitely quite possible. You know, baseball and sports in general are considered a welcome distraction for a lot of people when you take that away you're really robbing them of an outlet to really vent any frustrations that they're dealing with, be it dealing with, the, with inflation or what we're seeing going on in Ukraine and all other frustrations with regards to international relations, what they deal with during their jobs, what they deal with at school. You know, this is their outlet. This is their getaway from everything. And when you cut that off, of course you're going to have people frustrated. I think what uh, alarms me is we're going to be going into a situation now, I think, with Major League Baseball where it's going to be on the fence what we saw with the, the National Hockey League uh, a couple decades back where you had the lockout, you had the work stoppage, Then another one happened right after, just as you were getting the fan base back in the palm of your hand. There's a lot to work out here between the league's owners and Commissioner Manfred with the MLB Players Union and getting fans back into the stands. There's a lot here that's going to need to be fixed in order to make sure that five years from now, when this new uh, collective bargaining agreement expires, we're not right back where we started from.
0: Well, my confidence in Manfred, the commissioner, is extremely low, and I've made that – abundantly clear several times on the show last question briefly matt napolitano 162 games now guaranteed a full season upcoming as a mets fan were you privately maybe rooting for fewer games could that have been a sweet
6: relief for you (laughs) there's no such thing as sweet relief for mets fans like that's not a thing that's not in our lexicon fair enough at least not since 1986 matt napolitano
0: sports reporter fox news headlines 24 7 sirius xm channel 115 Matt, have a great weekend. Happy baseball. Happy baseball, Guy. Final hour, happy hour of the Guy Benson show coming up. Congresswoman Nancy Mace, I'm in her district here in Charleston, South Carolina. She joins me next. It is our final hour here on this Friday, the happy hour on The Guy Benson Show. Thank you so much for listening. 3 to 6 Eastern every weekday, plus on the podcast, around the clock, on demand, for free. GuyBensonShow.com, foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'll be joining Media Buzz this weekend with Howie Kurtz, 11 a.m. Eastern time on Fox News Channel. Just a little programming note as we head toward the weekend Our website here at the radio show, though, your one-stop shop for all needs related to this program, GuyBensonShow.com. And the happy hour sponsored by our friends at the Finnish long drink, which is so good. Refreshing citrus soda with a premium liquor kick. It's the most popular alcoholic beverage in Finland, and it is taking America by storm. We love it. I know many of you have tried it. They're expanding across the country. TheLongDrink.com. You can find out where it's sold near you. You can order online. TheLongDrink.com. 21 plus only, and always drink responsibly. Well, we are doing the show, as I've mentioned, from Charleston, South Carolina today. We're in town for a friend's birthday party weekend, which is going to be a lot of fun. This is a great town. And it feels appropriate to speak to yet another South Carolinian on the show today. We had former Governor Nikki Haley, former U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley on the show to start. And joining us to begin our final hour is Congresswoman Nancy Mace, Republican from South Carolina's first congressional district. She was the first woman to graduate from the Citadel and the first Republican woman ever elected to Congress. And it is great to have you back here.
4: And thank you so much, and I hope while you're in town this weekend you're going to hit up Hall's Chop House in downtown Charleston. <laughs> Best okay, so you'll ever have.
0: <laughs> I was going to ask you for some, for some advice here. We've got a couple plans already. Some of it has been all organized by our friends for the birthday thing. We've got a few other things that we can maybe do on our own. I'm right near downtown right now doing the show. Am I mm-hmm. physically in your district right now?
4: You are you yeah, you are likely in my district or Jim Clyburn's, so, so depending on where how close okay. you are and where you are big difference downtown. So you, yeah big difference, very very big difference, but I did I'm glad you mentioned Nikki Haley. I just had lunch with Nikki Haley, and she and I just uh we did a fundraiser for my reelection campaign, and she uh we had a standing room only with her there. she was fabulous, she was on point on fire. Uh, Just an amazing event in Charleston today with
0: her. Yeah, she told me that because actually Adam and I had breakfast with her this morning. She has a very busy schedule. And she said, oh, I'm going Mm -hmm. to this event for Nancy Mace. I said, she's on the show today. So it's a very, (laughs)
2: like,
0: Palmetto-themed show. And it's very cool to be here.
2: Does this count
0: as low country? Is that correct? Yes,
4: you are in the low country. That is what we nicknamed uh, the, the southern coastal region of South Carolina Beautiful oak trees, beautiful beaches, clean water, clean air. It is the low country, and you are welcome and, here.
0: And you were uh, recommending which steakhouse again, just in case I have and some time?
4: Halls. Anyone going to Charleston, you have to visit Halls Shop House. You want a steak? It's the best steak in town. Fabulous. Wonderful. You cannot miss it.
0: Got it. Well, we have a dinner reservation tomorrow night somewhere that I'm very excited about. And maybe I'll tell you offline about that, but Nikki Haley seemed to say you know, two thumbs up to that decision. If we need some steak and have some time, Hall's Chop House.
4: Great for, it's happy hour now, right? We're doing happy hour, so it's great for cocktails, too.
0: Okay. Well, see, I see I'm very much in the market for that. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So I appreciate uh, the help here. Now, let's let's get to the actual interview here, because this is fun, and we could probably go for 15 minutes just talking about Charleston. But, you know, it's a mm-hmm. national radio show, and there's all sorts of yep. stuff happening in the world, so we probably should. Seriously. You mentioned your race. You mentioned the fundraiser, the lunch today, uh, standing room only, packed house with you and the former governor. It's actually, to me, one of the more interesting races in the country, not just mm-hmm. – looking ahead to November and the general and this can be a you know a swing district although maybe redistricting could have helped uh, the republicans still, a bit down there. It's
4: still a swing district. Yeah, redistricting isn't really going to help with that it's still it will always be a swing district.
0: So it's close and it'll be one of those I think bellwethers early in the evening if South Carolina 1 is called early for the republican you know that's going to be a good sign right for the party yep. broadly. Now, the question is, will you be on the ballot as the Republican nominee? You're a sitting congresswoman, obviously, but you've got a primary challenge. President Trump has come in for your opponent. You've got other big Republicans like Haley in for you. I've seen some of the polling that has you ahead. How are you feeling about this race? What are the dynamics here? When is the primary? Uh, What should we know about your campaign?
4: Yeah, the primary is June 14th, and anyone that wants to support my reelection, it's Nancy Mace, like the pepper spray, nancymace.org. Um, yes, we are polling very well, um, and, you know, I always appreciate a good primary. I had a primary, you know, two years ago, and then we won the – in the general election by one point, I am a conservative in a purple seat in a swing district. And this is a bellwether for Republicans later this year. And if I were to lose my primary, and I won't, but we would lose this seat and meaning we would lose the majority in November. We've got everything, the winds at our sails. We've got all this momentum. It's amazing. I just raised $300,000 at lunch. Um, And I think that'll be more than any of my opponents um, included that they'll do the entire quarter, right? And we have standing room only and. You know, they, we have serious issues facing our nation and facing the world, and we need serious leaders with a track record of delivering results. And, and uh, you know, I worked for President Trump in 2016, and I support him in 2020. And um, I have a solid conservative track record, but I also have a track record of reaching across the aisle. And as a freshman lawmaker, as a Republican in a minority, I passed four bills in my first 14 months of office. I've never voted to raise a tax. I have a record of. voting to lower taxes. My opponent can't say that. In fact, when President Trump was lowering taxes, my opponent was raising them. And so, um, you know, when we're talking about some of the national security issues that we're facing today, our military revoked my opponent's security clearance. Um, They can't be trusted with our nation's secrets. And I get briefed on whether it's China or Taiwan or Ukraine – all these different issues facing your country, we need people that can be trusted with our nation's secrets and aren't going to put military lives in danger. And so um, I feel very good about going into my reelect. We're going to raise a ton of money this quarter. And I'm going to show come the 1st of April that there's no one out there that has the fundraising ability to take on a Democrat, a uh, well-funded Democrat in November, because I already have a Democrat opposition who's raising more money than any Republican running against me. I'm in a swing seat, but I'll have the, the apparatus, campaign, and fundraising apparatus to bring it home for Republicans to get a majority. Uh, we have to reverse everything that Biden and Kamala Harris are doing, um, and we need a majority to do that. And to do that, we got to keep this seat.
0: Yeah. And look, I almost never get involved in primaries on this show, and I'm not wading into it here. But We love having you on the show here. I appreciate what you're doing in Congress. I think people like you are really important in Congress. Uh, You've got a good attitude on this. So I just wanted to ask you about your race, and uh, it sounds like you've made a pretty good case for yourself there. Let's talk about some of the issues facing the country. First on domestic policy, flying down here last night from D.C. to Charleston, the flight attendant got on the loudspeaker in the plane and said, almost with a sigh, They've extended the mask mandate on planes for another month. Please bear with us. We're probably almost done. We're almost there, but it's still the rule. It's not ours, but it's the rule. We have to enforce it. We'll do it respectfully. Please be respectful back to us. It it almost sounded like an apology, <laughs> half an apology, rather than a, a real effort to enforce something. I just wonder... How this makes any sense, we talked about it on the show yesterday, too. They changed the guidance for indoor mask wearing the CDC did, not really based on any new science, right before the State of the Union address, and they had a bunch of people crowded into rooms. people are living normal lives all across the country, but on airplanes, for example, or trains where there have not been big super spreader events or you know, there, there's no uh, famous track record of of big outbreaks in those settings still we're clinging to these old rules for at least another month i just can't really make heads or tails of it if it was okay for the state of the union but not okay for you know young healthy people for example on airplanes it just seems so illogical
4: airplanes are schools in fact right like mm-hmm. uh the incidence of, of covid right now are so low um, we don't need to be doing this right now, and we shouldn't be enforcing these kinds of mandates. Uh, and I'm going to get on a plane here shortly, and I'm going to just – it's just frustrating to see that. And it does sound like an apology because they know. They, they're in on the joke. Everyone knows that this, this decision to demask everybody now was not based on science. It was based on midterm elections and political science, heading into a midterm, and, gosh, we can be free again. Like, the government should not be the one telling us – uh, what liberties and freedoms we can take, and and so I'm grateful that they finally come around. I'm grateful that that, that Biden numbers are so low. We're going to have a, a very solid year r- repealing all of these things, all these freedoms that the government has tried to take away from the American people. And so I say this is a good thing. I'm glad to hear that the airlines are acknowledging how ridiculous it is um, that they, we're still going down this path. And you know I even have to remind my kids as they're going to school. I'm like, hey, no math right this you know we've had covid twice you know it's just like we don't have to do this anymore right we can move on and live our lives
0: freely yeah it'd be one thing if we knew that masking on airplanes was an extremely effective tool to stop the spread of a disease right or or having kids forcing them to to wear masks in schools for eight hours a day if that was really effective and there was a bunch of data showing it that might lead to a very different conversation but we don't have that data. In fact, in a lot of respects, we have the opposite data. And yet on and on we have gone in many cases, month after month after month, doubling down on the useless to harmful policies and decisions. I mean, it just seems so undermining to public faith in our institutions. I I wonder if the people running those institutions, are they aware of how little credibility they have? I mean, you'd think they would want to maintain or regain some of the trust that hasn't really been the way they've operated
4: no and and they and they i think they're tone deaf like so many others right and and I think, you know, an N95 mask certainly is helpful when there's a variant and it's spiking. And I think those are measures that you can optionally take if you want to mm-hmm. do that, but shouldn't be forced on people. And so even some of the CDC data that's been out there, they have not provided all of the information and data sometimes, or it's hard to find, and they're not making decisions. They made COVID political. And then because they made COVID political, nobody trusts when science does come out and say, hey, you know, initially Dr. Fauci said masks don't work, don't get masks. So everyone believed him in the first time. And then he started saying, Oh, well now you gotta wear your mask and you can't sit together at Christmas dinner, right? And so so when, when we learn out that learn and find out that hey, when there is a variant it is spiking and you're in an N ninety five mask, you can protect yourself fifty percent of the time, now nobody believes you, right? And so if, if people if if elected officials and particularly government bureaucrats could just be honest with the American people, we could have had a more honest, I think, uh, conversation about what is and what isn't. And God forbid for somebody like me that mentions natural immunity. I mean, I got ratioed and attacked so hard by the left for saying, wait a minute now, there are all these studies out there that say that natural immunity is as good or better. Yeah, they came
0: around to that that eventually, right? They finally started to acknowledge it, but it took a long time, and it was something that wasn't really allowed to be said aloud, the way that you did, out loud, I should say, and until it was, right? Until they could finally... Concede or acknowledge the point, which I think again goes to the lack of trust. It, it just feels like something's been off, and I think it's been frustrating to a lot of people. Congresswoman, we're talking to Nancy Mason, South Carolina, on the issue of inflation. We saw the huge number, unsurprising but still brutal yesterday. It looks like it's going to keep being bad, perhaps even get worse in the months to come. The White House is saying, "Well, this is this is Putin." That seems to be the talking point right now. Uh, what do you think of that excuse that they're making already, and what are you hearing from constituents on this issue?
4: It's total BS to blame Putin. Inflation has been rising. In fact, in the first year in office, of Biden the race went higher than it had in 40 years, 7 percent. Wages increased 3 percent. The wages not keeping up with inflation. The cost of goods are very high. It gas your steak. Wherever you're going to grocery store, there are empty shelves. And so, really, truly, it's BS. It's an excuse. Ukraine is an issue that everybody's talking about right now, and then to blame Putin for all of Biden's woes up until this point, when it's been Biden's direct fault. He's a direct result of the crisis. The crises we're facing today, here and abroad, are a direct result of Biden's failed policies in his first. 13 months in office. And there's nobody else to blame but himself. So, but Putin seems like a good scapegoat right now because everybody hates him for what he's doing to Ukraine. But that's not the truth. That's not what's happening. And it's not the first time that the Biden administration, or Jen Psaki, has lied to the American people. Um, they do it frequently, all the time. And I'm, I'm, I want people to pull their heads out of the sand and see what's truly going on. And inflation, I'll tell you, jobs the economy, inflation and taxes are probably the number one issue in my district. And so um, it's something that I care about deeply. That's why my record of voting to lower taxes 100 percent of the time and never voting to ever raise a tax is important because taxes, when you raise them, they contribute to inflation. Spending, when you overspend or spend what you don't have, like the federal government does, uh, contributes to inflation. All of the money that the Federal Reserve is printing, uh, trillions of dollars every single year, contributes to inflation. And be massive spending
0: bills we're up on a break here but i want to get to foreign policy we will do that next with congresswoman nancy mace republican south carolina stay with us
2: fresh conservative talk guy benson show
0: from south carolina it's the happy hour on the guy benson show representative nancy mace is here with us last question we've talked briefly we've touched on ukraine just your overall thinking about the u.s posture when we look at what russia's doing it's outrageous to the ukrainians what level of american and western help is needed and appropriate where do you draw a line when it comes to escalation what's your thought process
4: it is complicated i will tell you because uh, we saw poland come out earlier this week talking about the 27 big planes we all want to see planes sent to ukraine But uh, when you sort of look under the rug and you realize, oh, of the 27 MiGs that Poland has, 13 are operable. And, by the way, why would you fly them 1,000 miles out of the way to Ramstein when you're 200 miles away from the border of Ukraine? And uh, and when you look at the airspace in in Ukraine, for example, you would need hundreds of jets. And in Belarus, Russia has an S-400 surface-to-air missile. And it can hit anything within 200-mile radius, and they have used it since the start of the invasion of Ukraine. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's, com- it's complicated. And the other thing that we're seeing, um, and this is one of the things that, uh, that we talked about at my luncheon today with Nikki Haley, is that when Putin and Russia is getting ready to do something big, they will often project it, and they'll talk about it before they actually do it. Ukraine. He talked about it for a long time, and then they finally invaded. Well, he's now Putin is now talking about chemical weapons and bio weapons, and mm-hmm. saying that U.S. has all these bio labs and everything. Well, well, we don't, but but he does, right? And so I fear, like what he did in Syria with chemical weapons attacks, that that's going to also happen to Ukraine. And at some point, you know, some decision will have to be made at when we step into this thing, if at all. And uh, two nights ago, Congress authorized $13 billion in defense spending to go to Ukraine. I know that we uh, have forces that are building up in our NATO allied countries as well. But um, it, what's scary is he will do what he's going to do, and he'll do it to the death. He, he will march every soldier, Russian soldier in, and march them to death just to get Ukraine. And I don't think he stops there. and so. But at the same time, we have to weigh and balance what these decisions actually mean, and what it means if we escalate it, and he sees it as escalation, and then we're in World War III. Right, depending on what happens. Right,
0: but what is he telegraphing? What should we do? It's it's very, very tricky, sensitive stuff. Obviously, also heart wrenching and outrageous and disgusting. uh, The images that we see every single day congresswoman nancy mace republican from south carolina i'm either in or right adjacent to her district here in the low country really appreciate you taking some time with us here today uh and if i have time to go check out those cocktails i will safe travels and thank you for joining us
4: thank you so much all right
0: bye. that's congresswoman mace on the guy benson show and we'll be back right after this
2: Talking about the issues you care about. Guy Benson.
0: Back here on the Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you. Happy Friday from Charleston, South Carolina. Today, the podcast, I will remind you no matter where I am, is always free of charge. GuyBensonShow.com. Bonus Benson on the weekends. We've got some good ones. If you miss some of the home stretches during the week, you'll want to listen to Bonus Benson this weekend. Well, yesterday here on the show in our final hour, we were on Sentencing Watch For Jussie Smollett, we covered his conviction a number of weeks ago, might have been months ago at this point. It all sort of blurs together. But he was to be sentenced by a judge in Chicago yesterday. And we're going to bring in Matt Finn to help us resolve what happened at the very end, we think, of this years-long saga. Matt has been covering every twist and turn in this case. Matt Finn, Fox News national correspondent. Matt, great to have you back.
7: Thanks for having me, Mr. Benson. Happy
0: Friday. Happy Friday to you. So, first of all, before we get to what happened last night, because there was some drama in the courtroom, there was an outburst, the judge really hammered Smollett in the lead-up to the sentencing, but is this over, over, or is there still potential wiggle room for appeals and such?
7: Well, you and I both know this thing may never be over, over, and there is room for appeals. Uh, In fact, shortly after Jesse Smollett was sentenced, one of his attorneys immediately stood up uh, and asked for the sentencing to be overturned. And the judge said, no, no, I'm not overturning the sentence. The wheels of justice are turning. Um, But, you know, of course, there was a dramatic end to this in court or at least another chapter to this in court. Uh, The judge took his time for more than 30 minutes just chastised Jussie Smollett, lambasted him from the bench. You know, we finally got to get inside Judge Lynn's head. uh, And he revealed everything he felt about this case uh, right before he sentenced Smollett. You know, and he said that Smollett has a dark side to him, a narcissistic side to him uh, that betrayed social justice. Uh, And he said that Jussie Smollett, um, his name has now become a synonym for lying. He called it pulling the Jussie. And the judge says, I can't think of anything worse than that. There's nothing that I can do to you that's worse than what you did to yourself.
0: Ooh, I mean, those are stinging words. Here's part of the rebuke from the bench last night. Cut
8: 28. Here's the judge. Turns out that you're not a victim of a hate crime. You're not a victim of a racial hate crime. You're not a victim of homophobic hate crime. You're just a charlatan pretending to be a victim of a hate crime. And that's shameful, especially from... The family you got brought up with, with your family values. It's so sad.
0: I mean, that is really tough stuff. Extremely well-deserved, in my view. Satisfying to actually hear that said from the judge to Smollett, to his face. Nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. And you could tell with that wind-up, the sentence itself was not going to be a pleasant one for Jesse Smollett. Let's listen to the actual sentence being handed down, and then, Matt, get your reaction having really, again, followed this trial from start to finish, even before there was a trial, all the way back to the alleged incident that he said was a hate crime, which we, of course, now know is a hoax. Here's what the judge said the restitution and the consequences would be in Cut 27.
8: I'm sentencing you to 30 months felony probation, and the probation is going to be to this court. You're going to be allowed to travel wherever you want. You do not have to live in the state of Illinois. You can report by phone. I know that if you're going to... Try to make a living and do some of the things you do. You may have to go to uh, other other places, New York and Los Angeles. You can do those things. You will pay restitution to the city of Chicago in the amount of $120,106. You are fined $25,000, which is the maximum fine. And you will spend the first 150 days of your sentence in the Cook County Jail. And that will start today, right here, right now.
0: 150 days in jail. That's not insubstantial. There's also this giant fine plus the restitution. Let's walk through it, Matt. At first, he says, when you're on probation for the better part of three years, you can travel. You can go elsewhere. You don't have to be here in Illinois. You can check in by phone. I was thinking, okay, that kind of seems like a slap on the wrist. But then came sort of the dropping of the hammer with the big restitution payment. What was that about? Is that like some of the resources lost by the city? while they were investigating the fake hate crime?
7: Yes, the restitution stands for the overtime hours. The city of Chicago says it's not seeking restitution, you know, on the general average or hours or the normal hours spent uh, investigating this. But the city wants the money back for the overtime. And like you said, uh, it was interesting. It was, it was like a well-written speech from the judge yesterday. I was watching the live feed, and the camera uh, fortunately was zoomed in pretty tight on Justice Smollett. And when the judge first said the the 30-month probation, I thought, okay, you know, that's it. And he even talked about Travel and making a living, and Smollett had no reaction. And, And and I will note that prior to this, the judge gave Justice Smollett multiple opportunities to speak. Smollett chose not to speak. His attorney said he's not going to. But then, when the judge, you know, went past the probation and said, "But by the way, you're going to spend the first 150 days of that probation in jail," that's when Smollett could not control himself. He stood up, removed his mask. Uh, and shouted aloud to the courtroom, uh, "I'm not suicidal. I'm not suicidal." And he looked at the judge. He goes, "I respect your decision, but if anything happens to me in there, I want you to know that I didn't do this." And he grew progressively louder. And I watched back some of the video, and you could see one of his attorneys kind of try to tap him, almost like, "Okay, that's enough." You know. And then when Smollett was, you know, brought back into the custody, he started putting a fist up there, became much more dramatic. I mean, making a scene uh, and saying, "I am, I am not suicidal. If anything happens to me in there, uh, I didn't do it." And also, you know, he goes, "I could have, I could have said I was." Guilty a long time ago, and those were his final words before he was brought back into custody. So, really, a, no. a very dramatic
0: end. He probably could have saved himself a lot of grief and the city a lot of pain and money if he had just admitted he was guilty a long time ago. He didn't. He's still maintaining his innocence, which is hilarious. He yelled that as well. In fact, we have that outburst. Let's listen to it. This was after the sentencing, cut twenty nine, that Matt just described.
8: No, I was just like to say to your honor that I am, uh, I am not suicidal.
7: I respect you, your honor. I respect your decision. Jail time. I am not
0: suicidal. Okay. I mean, uh, part of me is sickened by that display because he's still clinging to the lie, Matt. He's still playing this role. He's talking about black America and 400 years of oppression and the LGBTQ community, all this stuff that helped him fashion the lie to begin with and inspire the hoax that he perpetrated. He's still leaning into it. He's still saying he's innocent. I do wonder if the lack of contrition that was then just confirmed yet again by this clown was part of the reason that the judge was so upset with him and threw the book at him to a certain extent the way that he did. I know a lot of people were not expecting really any serious jail time. This is a big check to write, plus the probation, plus months in jail, which I guess Smollett was reacting to there, He still is, I guess, playing the part, not very well. He's not a very good actor here, but he got very indignant there. And you you have to wonder if it's exactly that sort of drama and attitude that ultimately was his undoing. Yeah, and the judge told him
7: yesterday, point blank. He goes, "You tried to write a script. You tried to bring together the characters. You even told them what to say. You gave them the lines. You gave them the props. And you know what? It wasn't a very good script." And I will say to Dan Webb, uh, for the first time yesterday, the special prosecutor made public that he wanted Jussie Smollett to spend time in prison. We had not known uh, prior what his request was for sentencing. And Dan Webb put together, uh, you know, some pretty good uh, closing arguments or a request to the judge. And he said that there were three aggravating factors here. Number one, the underlying Serious criminal misconduct of Justice Smollett. A lot of people were trying to make light of it. Oh, no one was hurt. You know, he just uh, you know made a, a false claim to police. But the um, but the pro- special prosecutor said, no. We are talking about a man who used his blackness and used his gayness and tried to turn that into a hate crime hoax. Uh, the special prosecutor also said that Smollett chose to lie under oath for several hours, and that is right. an extreme offense. And then last, the lack of contrition thing. He never made any uh, statement accepting responsibility. And so then the judge in his when he was sent to think Smollett. He said he arrived at four aggravating factors. This is Judge Lynn. He goes, here's why I'm sent to you the way I am. He said, number one, your extreme premeditation. You know, this wasn't a crime of impulse. You didn't just accidentally wake up and do this. You spent days and days. You even did a, you know, a dry run in a rehearsal. Number Mm -hmm. two, Smollett caused pain to real hate crime victims. Number three, the damage to the city of Chicago. And then the fourth, the fourth was that uh, Judge says Smollett lied and perjured himself for hours.
0: Yeah, and what's interesting, that's actually so fascinating, Matt. That detail, particularly about what the prosecutor said, the aggravating factors that he, I guess, laid out and delineated in court this week, perhaps earlier. Those three factors, Smollett confirmed all of them with his behavior in the soundbite that we just played, right? He was still going heavily into the racial stuff and the sexuality stuff and the victimhood thing. That was number one. He's still lying about it, claiming he's innocent. That's number two. And obviously, a lack of contrition continues to this very moment based on that little drama that he decided, a little tantrum that he had in the courtroom. Prosecutor's got to be thinking, all right, he just made my case for me. Having been sentenced, he confirmed all three points right there. Lastly, Matt, just the thing about I'm not suicidal. He said that it sounded like almost half a dozen times there. And the judge was like, "Okay, what was that about?
7: Well, you know, the judge did give him a few opportunities to speak. And so when he was starting when he was saying, I'm not suicidal, at first he was looking directly at the judge and speaking to him. So I think the judge was accepting that as, you know, his reaction or his statement. So the judge was saying, "Okay, okay," but you know, I, I don't know exactly why Jesse Smollett chose to use those words. You know, he ended up saying, "If something happens to me in jail, uh, I'm not suicidal." So I guess it's he's trying to imply that so if dramatic. something does happen to him, he didn't kill himself. You know, okay, and I, mean, I will say this it's just so ironic, it's just so ironic that, like the judge pointed out, you know Justice Smollett walked arm in arm with his family and you know a, a mixed race family who's known for their social justice issues. you know they testified that since they were children, their parents got them involved in things, and the judge said that you betrayed them, you know what what you did is so terrible because you are so fully aware of what it means to be a black gay man, and then you chose to use that as the centerpiece of your hoax
0: yep. And I guess he wanted everyone to know that uh, if anything happens to him again, it's just like so myopic, self-centered, just the drama around this guy constantly. It's exhausting. And maybe he'll have now months to think about it behind bars. He walks out of the courtroom. The black power fist goes up. I mean, it's just like the, the final, perhaps, performance of this this entire a string of performances. And it has ended with him not as a star, but as a convicted felon headed to jail. Jesse Smollett, convicted and now sentenced, and we have been following it here closely. We wanted to bring you the, at least for now, conclusion to this mess, and no one is better to walk us through it than Matt Finn, our colleague, who has been on this caper, on this saga from the very beginning. He's Fox News national correspondent Matt Finn on this Friday on The Guy Benson Show. Matt, thank you. Thanks for having me, Guy. Home stretch coming up next
2: the guy Benson show more next
0: home stretch on this Friday it's the guy Benson show podcast always available guybensonshow.com just a public service announcement we spring forward this weekend 2 a.m local time early Sunday morning daylight savings time returns. So when you spring forward, you lose an hour of sleep. Don't forget about it. There have been some fun experiences, I would imagine, of people being early and or late to things, including church. We had that in my family growing up. But it's daylight saving time, and that is arriving Sunday, very early morning. So the sun will be out later. That's the good news. But a little bit less sleep, a little bit less rest on Saturday night. Now, someone who can't really afford to lose an hour, this weekend is producer Christine because she is going to be moving like the full blown move is happening. The house closing has it happened or it's going to happen, but you've got the keys to the apartment. What's the timeline here, Christine?
9: So yes, we got the keys to the apartment. We've been doing a slow move each night when we get home from work, you know, bringing boxes over because the apartment's only about a mile from where we live right now. And uh, tomorrow is the big move where all of our furniture that we bought gets delivered, and we're you know home goods, all the packages, everything is starting to you know get organized and put together. And Sunday night we sleep there, and Tuesday morning we close. We hand the keys over Tuesday morning.
0: We are out. That of is a whole a flurry of activity. And are you? nervous at this point because you're always anxious about stuff are you nervous or are you just like happy and excited
9: i'm just happy and excited i really am and honestly we've been so, especially with work we've been so busy and don't forget i'm commuting now back to work so like my days are really really well not today but my days are really full so i don't think i've really processed the whole thing uh, dan uh, actually dan and i were talking about it yesterday and i said i, I feel like anxiety and he goes you're moving He said, you you have a big life change coming up. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's probably it.
0: (laughs) Well, and you're downsizing, right, from a house to an apartment, at least for a period of years. That's a big change. I know that you guys are making a nice, handsome profit on the house. That's good news. And you'll be looking to another house, a forever home in the future, but you're in this new apartment complex. You did mention that you were thinking about, Maybe trying to bring some of your inflatables with you and setting them up outside, like sort of on the patio of your apartment since you're on the ground floor. But Dan made a good point on the call earlier, which is you might not be able to do that, right, because you're no longer the master of your domain. You're not a homeowner anymore in your own single-family house. You're now sort of a tenant at an apartment building. There's a lot of rules that Cookie's going to have to follow, and I wonder if you're
9: prepared for that. Uh, I had no clue uh, when Dan and Wyatt were talking about it on the call. I didn't know that someone could tell me, no, don't put your inflatable bunny up. Had you you never rented before? um, No, Bobby and I did, yes, before this house we rented. But I don't think I was in the inflatables yet. yet. You know, um, we had a small, small balcony in our last apartment. So I decorated as best as I could. There was always lights out there and stuff like that. But – I can't imagine someone knocking on my door and saying, Christine, please take down, you know, your inflatable Santa. I mean, is someone really going to do that?
0: Oh, I think so. I think if there's someone with taste in the building and they see it, there'll be a phone call made and a knock at the door. Maybe like a little, uh, little note under the door to start. Oh, yeah. Well, oh. welcome to uh, Renterville. I mean, it's a different world. It's a brave new world, Christine. It's going to be a lifestyle change, but this is your whole scheme. It's being executed. I hope that you're more excited than anxious. Hope the whole move goes well this weekend, even though you lose that one hour. Don't forget about that heading in to Sunday. And then standard time returns in November when we fall back. When, uh, it's like It's such a bummer when, yes, you get one extra hour of sleep, and then there's so much less sunshine. And then you look forward to this weekend every year, except for the loss of sleep. I'm not really sure we need this at all anymore. Wasn't it about, like, farming and stuff? It seems antiquated and confusing. That's a side issue for another day. It's happening, though, is the point, which is why we wanted to mention it. All right, good luck, Christine, and uh, be safe. I know it's a lot happening in the span of a day or two, but uh, (laughs) hopefully you'll be in one piece and in good shape for Monday's show
9: we will be good, and then once we're all settled, I can't wait for you to come and sleep over.
0: Oh, uh, wow, so that's a slumber party. That's, that's a whole new ask. Okay, I'll take that under advisement. I think I might not be free that day, but we'll see. In the meantime, it's the weekend. Have a great weekend, everyone. Hopefully you're doing something less stressful than moving. We'll be back here on Monday for The Guy Benson Show.
3: We will talk to you then.